first reading is um, on page 1080. It's John, uh, chapter 10, reading verses 1 to 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The second reading today comes from Psalm 77, which can be found on page 585 of the Church Bibles. That's page 585 of the Church Bibles, and we'll be looking at Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled. I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? And never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord, yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. 
The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Rosalie, thanks very much for uh, reading for us. Let me have my welcome. It's lovely to uh, see you uh, this morning. And as Ben said, we're continuing this uh, sermon series on when life is hard. So do please keep Psalm 77 open and uh, let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you uh, very much that the Lord Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And we pray this morning, please, would you help us to listen carefully to his voice and to take it to heart. And we ask it in his name. Amen. One of the ways in which people often describe periods of great hardship is like being stuck in a tunnel with no light in sight at the end of it. Yes, there's light behind, the light of better, happier days in the past, but light ahead is elusive. Or perhaps it comes for a moment, and then our hopes are dashed, and it's gone again. I guess some of us will have experienced something like that, as I have, and I guess many of us, probably most of us, will know others who have experienced it as well. Well, the aim of this series, When Life is Hard, is to help us to tunnel out of darkness to light and hope. Last week, we began to get our bearings on what life is like in a fallen world, and we saw God's very special promise, which he gives to those who know the Lord Jesus. Do catch up online if you missed it. And today, we are thinking about how to pray when we find ourselves in the darkness. Psalm 77 is one of many psalms in the Old Testament known as psalms of lament. They show us how to pray when life is full of questions, when we're experiencing pain and hardship, and yet when we're also wanting to trust God's promises. A lament, if you like, is a prayer cried out to the Lord in pain, And through a path of hardship and disappointment and brokenness, we are then led to hope and trust. And that is the journey which I want to lead us on this morning, moving from pain to trust. But before we get there, I think it's worth saying it is a journey and there is an alternative Because suffering will either draw us near to God, or if we let it, it will drive us further away from God. I wonder if that's something you've ever thought about or pondered. I guess some of us will know that's true from our own experience, some from the experience of others. It can be true for the unbeliever. My grandfather was like that. He fought in the Second World War. He was seriously injured. 
A number of his friends were killed. He wanted nothing to do with God. And it can be true for the Christian believer as well. Life is hard. The life we expected doesn't come our way. Yet some of us draw near to God and others let that experience drive us away. In other words, the way we respond to suffering has a profound effect on our lives, not just in the short term when life is hard, but also in the longer term because of the way in which we respond to what's happening. A negative response may show that actually we're not really pursuing Jesus' kingdom at all, but we're pursuing our own kingdom, happiness, success, health, security. And when we don't have those things, we turn away from God. And that is why we need to learn from the Psalms of Lament, as they lead us to trust him in the midst of hardship Now, just to get our bearings, Psalm 77 was probably written in response to the devastation of the exile in the 7th century BC. God's people invaded by the Babylonians, carted off into exile to live, most of them, far away in Babylon. It looked as if God's purposes and promises were in ruins. No more. The psalm teaches us two things about prayer that lead us towards God when life is hard rather than away from him. And you'll see they're there on the outline. If you've got a paper copy of the outline, they'll come up on the screen as well. Firstly, pray and pour out your heart. Secondly, turn and trust. So firstly, pray and pour out your heart. Pray, verses 1 and 2. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. It takes faith to pray, to trust. Because it's saying that I want hardship to draw me towards God and not away from him. For the follower of Jesus, perhaps the two most wonderful words in the Bible are those two words which we heard at the very beginning of our service this morning. Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Yes, he is the sovereign Lord over all things, and yet wonderfully, if we belong to him, if we belong to the Lord Jesus, he invites us to address him as our heavenly Father. It's what makes Christianity unique. We can be all too quick to forget the amazing privileges we have if we belong to the Lord Jesus. Does a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or or anyone else for that matter know God as their heavenly father? No. A father who longs for us to talk to him and a father who is good. Such a contrast with the secular world around us, which has no answers in the face of suffering and no one to turn to. I guess that's why people don't really talk about it. And yet, if Richard Dawkins is right, well, we better get used to the idea. Because being hardship, because suffering times of hardship and suffering, well, if we're just a bunch of chemicals, well, that's just life. 
and we need to get used to it. Hardship is just the luck of the draw, just like the National Lottery. Well, it may be there are one or two here this morning, and actually deep down in your heart, that is what you believe. And I hope that this morning, and indeed during this series of talks on hardship, I hope you'll begin to see how wonderful it is to know the God who we can indeed address if we know him as our Heavenly Father. So when life is hard, pray. We may not feel like it, but it is the first step to tunneling our way out to hope and light. Because we know, don't we, that silence is a killer in any relationship. And silence is a killer in the way we relate to God as well. The devil would love us not to pray, but our doubts and questions are far better put into plain speech than left to fester. Pray. But not just pray, pray and pour out your heart. Have a look at the rest of verses 3 to 9. I wonder if you can feel the pain of verse 3. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And then verse 4, the anxiety of insomnia, being lost for words. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And verse 5, the kind of memory of happier days. But of course, that only makes things worse. And then in verse 7 to 9, the perplexity as the psalmist effectively asks one question and does so six times. See if you can spot it, verses 7 to 9. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion. Now, I don't know what you fear the most. Perhaps ill health. Perhaps losing your financial security. Perhaps uncertainty. Perhaps something happening to your children, if you have them. But here is the most fearful of anxieties that a soul can ever harbor. Was I right to believe that God is faithful to his promises? Will he reject me forever? Has his steadfast love ceased? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Will he no longer be compassionate? We all know, don't we, what it is to be rejected by another person. But to be rejected by God. Remember the context is the exile, God's people driven out of their land, enslaved in Babylon. It's why these verses, verses 79, are full of covenant promise-keeping language. You see, it's as if there's a mismatch between the promises of God that he has given to his people on the one hand and their experience of God on the other hand. Perhaps you've had a relationship like that, or a friendship like that. You thought you knew someone. They'd made promises. 
And yet, as time went by, there seemed to be a growing mismatch between what you thought you knew about them and the reality that you were experiencing. They're painful questions. And yet, some of us will know what it is to have asked them, or will know others who know what it is to have asked them. Now, of course, it may well be that some of us are surprised by this kind of language in the Bible. Has God forgotten to be gracious? They're, they're, they're big questions. Will he no longer show compassion? And yet, of course, it is a wonderful thing that we have these psalms of lament in the Bible at all. Because it shows that it's okay not to be okay. And it shows us how to pray when life is not okay. And it shows us how to encourage others to pray when their life is not okay. So firstly, pray and pour out your heart. Secondly, verses 10 to 20, turn and trust. Turn and trust. Firstly, turn, verses 10 to 12. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. I want us to focus just on one word at the beginning of verse 10. Then. One of the characteristics of the Psalms of Lament is that there is usually a turning point where the psalmist turns from pouring out his heart to the Lord to trust. Whereas in verses 3 to 6, those verses are full of troubles. In verses 10 to 12, he turns and remembers God's works and character. It's reflected in the change of pronouns. So verses 3 to 6, just have a look at them. They're full of eyes. When I remember, I moan. When I meditate, I am so troubled. I cannot speak. I consider the days. Whereas from verse 10 onwards, the focus changes as he appeals to the right hand of the Most High. The right hand, of course, being the hand of God's power. And then just scan down the verses, and the eyes have been replaced by yours and yous. Verse 12, your work, your deeds. Verse 13, your way. Verse 14, you. Verse 15, you. And so on, all the way down to verse 20. You get a similar pattern in the other Psalms of Lament as well. In other words, yes, the psalmist is teaching us to pray and to pour out our heart to the Lord but then to turn. Not to stop at the end of verse 9 by pouring out our hearts, but to move beyond that and to turn. In other words, we need to make sure that we don't just stay at the end of the first half of the psalm, but move on. To some of us, I guess that may well be something of a warning those perhaps who by nature are glass half empty, those who are uh, perhaps in danger of uh, complaining to the law but never moving on, those who are more inclined to self-pity. 
And yet, of course, to others, this will be a great encouragement. That actually, when life does seem so overwhelming, when we feel ourselves in verses 3 to 9, the encouragement that actually we can move on. Mark Vrogop, in this excellent book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, says this. Complaint is central to lament. But Christians never complain just to complain. Instead, we bring our complaints to the Lord for the purpose of moving us towards him. We allow the honest opening of our souls to become a doorway to the other elements of lament. In other words, we move from complaint and pouring our heart out to the Lord. We turn, and then we begin to trust. In other words, when our hearts say to us, things are hopeless, we need to argue back. When life is hard, we need to make a decision about where we place our trust to get our bearings. Will we trust our circumstances or will we trust God's promises? Turn. But, but then, not only turn, but trust. And notice in verses 13 to 20 how the psalmist turns to remind himself of God's great salvation in the past as he recalls the events of the Exodus hundreds of years earlier when God rescued his people from Egypt when he rescued them from under his judgment and when he brought them out through the wilderness to the land he had promised. Verse 14. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. The whole purpose of the Exodus was for the Lord God to reveal himself to the nations. Verse 15. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, he rescued his people, fulfilling the promise that he had made to Jacob and Joseph. In verses 16 to 19, he rescued them through the waters of the Red Sea. Verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Verse 19, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. God's footprints were indeed unseen. God himself was was unseen, and yet he was actively delivering, working for the salvation of his people. Indeed, this sense of unseenness may well have been the psalmist's own experience, that he cannot see God, that he seems far away. But he is, in fact, always present with and leading his people just like a shepherd. Striking, I think, the psalmist finishes with verse 20. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. A wonderful deliverance by the unseen God. Because, as always, God's people live not by sight, but by faith. And that Exodus rescue was an anticipation of the far greater rescue that we too have experienced if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Rescued from sin, rescued from Satan, rescued from the judgment to come, 
from death itself through the death of Jesus on the cross through to being given new life through his resurrection from the dead. Yes, the Lord Jesus will lead us to the new creation and yet he is unseen. We too live not by sight but by faith. It means, of course, that we don't have to understand everything God is doing in our lives or indeed in the lives of others if we are to trust him. We may find ourselves inwardly crying out, Lord, why are you doing this? Please explain it to me. And yet we walk by faith. We don't walk by explanations. Faith in God's shepherd care for his people. In the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, John chapter 10, who lays down his life for his sheep. So when life is hard, how do we know that God won't give up on us? How do we know that the answer to those questions in verses 3 to 9 is no? Well, we look to Jesus' death on the cross. That is where we see the rock-solid evidence of God's unchanging, unwavering, unshakable love for his people. He won't give up on us. He'll bring us to his final place of rest, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That is the foundation we need in hard times. That is what we need to remember, to meditate upon it, not just to know it in our heads, but actually to know it deeply in our hearts. Trusting means not living by our circumstances or how we feel, or putting our faith in the fact that our situation may change in the future, but rather putting our faith in the promises of God knowing that his overriding concern is the salvation of his people, keeping us and taking us to the new creation. Many of us will have heard of William Cooper. He was an English poet who struggled with debilitating bouts of depression for much of his life. He was a hymn writer, and his last hymn, is God moves in a mysterious way. It's written just, um, just before he died. And most of his life he had struggled with this whole business that Psalm 77 so uh, helps us with. How do I turn sorrow and struggle and heartache into trust and confidence? And yet his last hymn does it beautifully. I've put a couple of verses there on the outline. Just have a look at them. The first verse there. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. He turns from hardship to the character of God. Fearful clouds are full of mercy. Then the other verse Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, 
but trust him for his grace. Behold, a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Again, he turns from hardship to the character of God. Our experience may seem to be a frowning providence, but actually behind it, he hides a smiling face. Which means the answer to those questions of verses 7 to 9 is no. His steadfast love never ceases. Jesus, the good shepherd, will continue to lead his people to shepherd us, to work in our lives for our utmost good. He will take us home to the new heavens and the new earth. Psalm 77 shows us how hardship can lead to trust. Which means, you see, when life is hard, there is a choice we need to make. And when others we know, other Christian believers we know, are finding life hard, there is a, tr- there is a choice that we can help them make as well. It's about who we trust. The version of, of events that our circumstances are telling us or the version of events that God is telling us. No one can make that choice for us. And yet it is a choice that has to be made. I was reading recently about a couple called Gary and Bonnie Witherell, who are missionaries in the Lebanon. In 2002, um, one day when she was working as a GP in her medical clinic, a gunman came in, opened fire, and she was killed outright. No warning. It had just been a perfectly normal day up until 11 o'clock in the morning, or whatever it was. This is what Gary wrote about the choice he faced. Suddenly I was wrenched into a place that I could never have imagined. I was forced to fall and fall and fall into the abyss of grief. I was not ready for this. I was not given time to prepare for the loss of the one person who lit up my world. And yet in his sorrow, he cries out to the Lord. And he goes on to to use the language of choice that he had to make. He says this, I had to live in faith that God was in control, that Bonnie was with Jesus in heaven. I chose to believe the Bible. I chose to believe that God knew and I now needed to trust him. Psalm 77 is filled with deep pain and tough questions and yet a determined trust in the Lord's salvation. Many of us have had to make that decision to trust God in the face of hardship as I have over these last several months. And as I said last week, all of us will have to make that decision at some stage in our lives. And there'll be some of us in the church family who need the encouragement to do so today. So can we see how the psalm leads us to a point where we can begin to see light at the end of the tunnel? The way it gets us praying, the way it gets us pouring out our hearts to the Lord but not staying there, but turning and then trusting 
trusting for the future. It means, of course, that we don't need to know how all the various bits of the jigsaw of our lives are going to fit together. Because we can trust the one who does, our Heavenly Father. Indeed, we can rejoice that he does in the midst of our pain and hardship. Let's have a few moments of quiet and then I shall lead us in prayer. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Heavenly Father, we praise you very much indeed that you are our Heavenly Father. We praise you for the Lord Jesus, our Good Shepherd. We praise you for the great confidence we can have that just as you led your people then out of Egypt to the Promised Land. So as we look at the the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, Thank you that we can be absolutely confident that you are for us, us, of your love towards us, that we are forgiven, that you are uh, leading us to the new creation. And we pray, Heavenly Father, in all the ups and downs of life, please would you keep us trusting in your great goodness and kindness. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen couple of book recommendations which you'll see on the bottom there of the outline. Firstly, the one I quoted from by Mark Rogop, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. I think there's a copy of that on the bookstall. Um, So do have a look at it on the bookstall and then order it if you'd like to. And then secondly, Tumbling Sky by uh, Matt Searles. Um, Just helpfully goes through some of the other psalms of lament in a a similar way in which we have this morning, but that may be uh, helpful to some. If you need an extra encouragement to look at it, it's Laura Nelson's uh, brother who is the author. So uh, do chat to her about it afterwards as well if you'd like to.